Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Kurita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Again, I would like to appreciate you taking time to be with us, listening to this uh, broadcast, as we are going to continue managing for the Master until he comes. Today, we are going to deal with depth. May you be blessed as you listen today and please stay with us for the whole hour. I would like to welcome our panel. It's good to have you with us, Joe. Thank you, Nick. It's good to be here today. Will, thank you for uh, joining. Thank you, Nick. The counsel from the Bible on debt is very valuable for us, and I look forward to this discussion. And Lija, it's good to have you part of this too. I'm very glad. Praise the Lord. Ken, welcome to Bible study. Thank you, Nick. It's wonderful to be here. And today's topic is really, really meaningful and looking so much to getting into it. And Len, it's good to have you with us today, in particular, uh, as you prepare this um, uh, discussion today and you're going to facilitate. Uh, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you for the welcome, Nick. And hello, listeners. Yes, this is a very interesting topic we're dealing with today. It's called Dealing with Debt. Now, most of us are not aware of the amount of debt that's incurred within modern society. Here in Australia, if all debt that's personal, state and federal government debt was to be paid off, every household would need to pay, wait for it, a quarter of a million, that's $250,000. Currently, our federal government owes $895 billion. State governments, $543 billion, with Victoria topping the list, plus private and household debt, amounting to about $3.36 billion. Now, if you go online, you'll be able to find a debt meter. I've had a look at this, and it's spinning rapidly with the total, in de- the total debt incurred unrelentingly increasing by millions of dollars each day. Now, of course, some may argue that debt is a good thing, inasmuch as it contributes to the good life economy. Others, of course, are not in favour of debt. What we intend to share with you today is about what the Bible, the Word of God, has to say on this fundamentally fascinating subject. So stay tuned and keep this hour free to hear what we, your panel, will present and discuss including practical advice from the Holy Scriptures about debt. But before we do, we want to invite the Holy Spirit into this discussion. And Ken, would you lead us in prayer, please? Certainly, Len. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for bringing us all together again today to look at this Bible study. Today's study is so important in the times we live in. It's all about debt, something many people have today and don't know how to get out of it. 
God has always said to me, Father, your word gives clear lines of direction on how we can overcome this thing. Just pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us all to give the very best we can today to help our listeners. And we pray for our listeners that they will listen to what is said and check your word out in the Bible and help them all, God, as only you can. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Well, now, Ken, we'll, you can kick this discussion off. How many references are there in the Bible on this subject? And do they condone or oppose being in financial debt? Well, then, um, led to believe there's approximately 26 references. And, of course, dealing with debt, they're all negative about being restrained by debt, something that none of us really want to be involved in because debt is like a, a stone around your neck. And I want to share one of these with this morning because I believe it's particularly interesting. In Joshua 1 and verse 8, it says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. What a wonderful verse from God's word. And again, we hear, put God first and all else will follow. Yes, thank you, Ken. I like the reference that you uh, said about a chain around one's neck. And um, for those of us who've been in debt, that's exactly what it is. Yes, Will? I stumbled on a statement of a century and a half ago by the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, and he wrote uh, something very, very um, true. He says, hundreds would never have known want if they had not first known waste. Hundreds okay. would never have known want if they had not first known waste. Yes. All right, well, with that in the back of our minds, let's go further into God's word to see what God has to say about debt. So, Joe, what was God's instruction? I should say, what is God's instruction, which I describe as his platinum ideal about how we should live? Okay, well, I'll read in the instructions, if you like, from Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the, the Lord your God. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. So it tells us here if they loved and obeyed God, they would be right up there above all other nations. They would be blessed with much abundance. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel because we know they had a jubilee system which kept a cap on greed, but it is clearly that they would be prosperous and a blessing to others um, around them. 
Then, of course, it says that um, you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. God's ideal was that his people would be in a position to lend rather than borrow, in a position to help others rather than needing assistance themselves. Um, that was God's ideal. But there are times, unfortunately, when we all might need to borrow some money. Yes, Nick? Just very interesting on uh, that aspect, uh, what Joe just uh, said, that we may borrow some money, and that's that's so true. What I would like to point out is that as you introduce this uh, discussion, Len, you brought to our attention and our listener uh, how much we are in debt individually or uh, governments or whatever institution, I wonder if this is not the case because we departed so much from God and his principles and we are trying to run everything on our own understanding and uh, on our own agenda, if you like. Because uh, I can give you examples in the Bible when people didn't lack anything and they didn't have much either one example uh, in the time of the disciples they have all things in common they didn't lack things who had more had what he needs who had less had what he needs i wonder what's going on with this world and implicitly with each one of us Yes, I think that's a very good point you've made, that um, as people forsake uh, the Lord and following his counsel, things can very easily go wrong. I think God uh, lets people go in the sense that um, he doesn't direct their lives and things just go wrong. Anyhow, although society is vastly different than it was over three millennia ago when this instruction that Joe was reading from Deuteronomy was given. Does the instruction in Deuteronomy have any relevance to us today? What do you say, Jerry? Yeah, I think it does, uh, Lynn, very much so. Um, God is the same God. Um, he doesn't change. So if we follow his um, instruction... Um, then we can expect the same outcome. So, yeah, obey God and, and you'll be blessed. And um, as people who obey God's instructions, we then become examples, paragons or ideals for others to follow. People take notice. And if they see you're blessed, they may, they may come to you and say, how come? You're doing so well. What's your secret, as they sometimes say? So because of God's blessings, those who obey him have no need to borrow money to live. And that's a fantastic position to be in, really. So instead, they or we are in a position to lend rather than borrow. Okay, well, I suppose a lot of a lot of people would uh, say, well, just based on that alone, it's worthy to follow the Lord. Yes, Nick? But I just wonder, is that the case? Is that the reality every day? of our life when uh, people really trust God, put their life in God's hands, and they still go through some difficulties. How would we explain that? 
Or what sort of uh, advice we should give to those people who are following God faithfully and still going through some difficulties, even financial difficulties? What would you say? Can I speak to that, Nick? Yes. Um, I think, um, yes, the reality of life is that uh, you have times where things are tough. Even if you obey God and follow his commandments and, and um, you know, do what God requires. See, but uh, I don't think God will ever let you uh, reach a point where while doing the right thing, you find yourself in, in despairing because of circumstances. And, and there's a big difference. You know, you can still have a quiet confidence and you should have a quiet confidence that God is watching over you and that he will get you through those difficult times. Um, that is the reality of life. You know, do you hear what I'm saying? So, yeah, you, God will take care of you. You have to believe that. And if you are faithful to God, he's faithful to you. Yes, it's interesting, Jerry, because when I posed that question, I was thinking myself uh, a little bit this way. Probably we need to understand that we have a role to play each one of us in this equation. It's not just about that person who may go through difficulties in life. If we are real Christians, that person may come out a bit more easier from his difficulties if we are really following God. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a whole think and that's what i mentioned a bit earlier the disciples when they experienced the uh, having things in common now i'm not sure if it's that that's possible today but why not the question is why not or probably we are so in love with what we have individually that we cannot share with others we don't like that idea to be in common in this society or in these days you see that there are some question marks there which i hope uh, will uh, will clarify some of them as we go yes of course there are always exceptions and we recognize that bad things happen to good people however it must also be understood i know of a community of faithful christians who've been mentioned in the National Geographic magazine because of their longevity, and not just their longevity, but the quality of their lives. And it turns out that amongst all the peoples in the world who live longer than the normal population, this group of people is living very satisfied lives and longer lives, up to 10 years longer than the normal population the general population, I should say. So there is perhaps a little bit of statistical evidence that God does care for his people when we put him first. Well, let's move on from that point. And we're actually talking about debt today. Lydia, what are three reasons why people get into financial debt? Studies show that, uh, as you said, Len, there are, there are three primary reasons. So the first one is ignorance of how people budget or handle the money. And uh, this is saying that many people, even the, ed- the educated, are financially illiterate, effectively. 
The second one is greed or selfishness, covetousness. Some people feel effectively they want to live beyond their means. So they aren't willing to live in or drive or wear whatever they can really afford, but they want instead to fulfill their desires, their wants. And the third one is um, personal misfortune. Some people uh, effectively are striked by sickness, natural disasters, or they become victims of fraud or dishonesty, and uh, yeah, this affects them. Yes, thank you. I was talking to a lady the other day who um, was unlucky enough to be scammed of quite a large amount of money. I was talking to somebody earlier, a couple of months ago, who was scammed of $2.9 million. Well, that certainly would have made a big hole in their bank account. And um, we are constantly bombarded. If you don't turn your ads off on TV and you watch the ads, many of these ads promote this will give you a better life. This will make you the envy of other people. And this is being pushed all the time. And I believe that there are plenty of people who, in order to keep up with the Joneses or to look better than the other guy, go beyond their means, as was earlier mentioned, and go into debt. Well, what does the Bible say about being contented with what we have, Will? Len, the best text I can find is uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and from uh, verses 6 to 9. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice the word contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I I'd like to just comment that because people are not generally satisfied with making do with what they have, Len, many seek to acquire more and more, thinking it will make them happy. We find then that the quest for greater wealth is endemic in our society. This obsession has uh, serious pitfalls. Our text here says that they fall into traps and many harmful desires, plunging them into ruin. I want to be honest, I see this trend actively fed by television ads promoting gambling, for example, and what ruin gambling has brought to many families. Doesn't it seem strange that anyone would promote a product like gambling or a service, but then end the advert with a warning. In this case, we note that it says, stay in control, gamble responsibly. Perhaps my angle would be stay in control, 
don't gamble. So perhaps verse 9 is especially applicable to uh, gambling, where it says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I was concentrating or just mentioning gambling, but of course there are many other things that we foolishly plunge ourselves into. Yes, uh, it was earlier mentioned that gaining more, more, more is supposed to give more, more, more happiness. And I have a personal story to tell about a good friend of mine. He was a fairly wealthy farmer, single, lived on the West Coast. And um, he would come over here to Adelaide and he would stay with my wife and me and our kids. And he would go to stores, hardware stores and uh, Paramount Browns, which was fairly close here, and he would buy equipment and tools. And after a few days of um, being here in the city, he would go home and he would use these tools and things that he had bought. And that kind of kept him, I suppose, a little bit happy. But when he became feeling desperate again, he would come over and he'd buy more stuff. It just shows that things don't give permanent happiness. Now, the text that you read, Will, said that we should be content with what we have. Nick, does this mean we must wear our clothes, our shoes and whatnot until they threadbare? And does it mean that our cars, our washing machines, computers and fridges are barely able to function properly? What's what's your take on that? Len, a very simple answer uh, directly to your question is that if you cannot stretch further, you probably may need to attend some of your uh, goods you have, or even clothes, maybe even put a patch on them to keep you going, instead of uh, going into big uh, debt. But the truth is that our visa cards are full, or most people, visa cards and all other things, because of their desires to have something special, something new, something to impress others. And that's the biggest problem with being content with what you have, because the Bible says that, um, uh, I think it was uh, King David, Say that he grew old, but he haven't seen those who follow God begging their bread. It's interesting. And here again, I want to make the, this point that it's a community thing. It's not just that, that person. Unfortunately, many people are going into big debt because they have that dream or desires, good desires, even to help others. And I know this uh, personally, when people are going to big extents of even gambling and doing some other things, hoping that they will win a big amount of money to help other people. That's a wrong principle. 
never the Bible accept that thing. Now, coming back, Len, um, to what you just said, of course, uh, you need to be sensitive to many aspects of your life because we are an example. We cannot afford just to be neglectful. You know, we are called to be an example to the whole world as Christians, even in dressing nicely, it is possible, uh, being clean, replacing the goods which you need to replace when it's needed, and all those things. But consider that not to go to the extremes of just that you want to impress people. Do everything what you can and in the good connection with the word of God and his advice, I believe, than the advice of the TV or the internet. Okay, well, we don't have to go to extremes where we are getting around in old worn-out clothes and things. In fact, I was thinking, I wonder how many of you on the panel and how many of you listeners know how to darn socks. Now, when I was a kid at school, um, I did learn how to darn socks, but I haven't darned a sock for 50 years because we live in a different type of society when your sock has got a hole in it or you throw it out. And some of the things you dare not repair because the repairs will cost more than a new one. Nevertheless, that uh, we should live not sparingly, but sensibly. We don't need the latest things. I was going, I was looking, I've got a good car, nothing wrong with it. I thought, well, I'll go and check the new model out. Maybe I'll change over. And I did a test drive and I thought, this is no better than what I've got. So I kept, kept the old one. It's not that old, but it's, I was just a little bit tempted, you see. All right. Well, let's move on. Joe, is there any relationship between being in debt and slavery? Well, it seems uh, a little bit strong, doesn't it? But the Bible says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And that's found in Proverbs Mm. 22.7. I think it's all good if you can manage to make the repayments and everything's okay. But if for whatever reason you cannot, well, you would be in a fair bit of trouble. You could be thrown into a debtor's prison or sold into slavery. I'm talking about Bible times. <laughs> and perhaps even till not long ago, um, we had debtor's prisons. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 11 where a servant owed the king 10,000 talents. And I looked this up and it is worth three and a half billion dollars in today's, in today's terms. Now, this is almost equivalent to the victorious private and household debt that you mentioned earlier, Len. And he was forgiven this debt and the slate was wiped clean because the king knew that the servant wouldn't ever be able to repay it, not even in a few lifetimes. Now, this servant then goes out and finds someone who owes him a 100 denarii which is roughly four months' worth of work. A denarii was what a person earned a day. So really it's an insignificant amount of money compared to what he had been forgiven. And, of course, he has no compassion but throws him into a debtor's prison. The story is about money but is also about forgiveness and compassion. And 
we who've been forgiven much also ought to show forgiveness and compassion to others. But in the real world, it doesn't always work that way. So if you owe money to a lender or a bank and cannot pay or come to some sort of agreement, well, you would be in considerable difficulty. And while, as far as I know, we do not have debtors' prisons or workhouses and such anymore, you can get yourself into the sort of trouble that it's very difficult to get out of. And it can start a cycle of poverty, which is a form of modern slavery. And in a sense, you become enslaved. Okay, well, the answer is fairly clear that being in debt can just be like being a slave. Now, of the 26 references in the Bible about debt, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10 is one of them. So, Will, what is the primary statement in these verses? Len, let me read that text. I'm reading it from the message translation. Don't run up debts. Except for the huge debt of love, you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law, that is the Ten Commandments, has been after all along. Law code, don't sleep with another person's spouse, don't take another person's life, don't take what isn't yours, don't always be wanting what you don't have, or any other don't you can think of. It finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code or the Ten Commandments, the sum total is love. Interesting angle, this. It says, owe no man anything except love. This applies to to non-monetary issues as well, like ensuring that we do not trample on other people's rights as explained in the Ten Commandments. A beautiful text and a fine principle indeed. Yes. So here it um, points out there's a different kind of debt which can easily be repaid. And um, that verse that you read says at the end, love does no harm to your neighbour, meaning others, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. So would you like to expound a little on that, please, Jerry? Yes, I think essentially what it's saying is is um, do what's good, do the right thing. If you look at the uh, verses prior to or at the beginning of um, chapter 13 in Romans, it essentially talks about obeying the authorities. And uh, in verse 3 it says, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. And if we follow that principle through, then essentially what it's saying is, you know, love doesn't do things to hurt others. That's why love fulfills all the requirements of God's law. So if you do the right thing, you'll have praise from God, which means that um, if you don't, if you haven't mistreated anybody, if you haven't taken advantage of anybody, or done anything unethical towards a neighbour. 
but rather respected and loved your neighbor, then you've been following the principles contained in the Ten Commandments. You've honored the rights of others. I think that's what really he's su suggesting here. Yes, yes, because when you do something wrong to somebody else, you're actually in debt to them. Yes. Well, now let's turn our attention to something about escaping the debt net. Have you ever heard of the Micawber Principle? It is simply an application of what Wilkins Micawber said in the Charles Dickens novel, David Copperfield. And this idea is worthy of everyone's attention. Okay, what did Micawber say? These are his words. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 19 pounds, 19 and 6. Result, happiness. Then he does, uh, gives the other side. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 20 pounds, Orton 6. Result, misery. Now, summarised, the statement means if you spend less than you earn, the result is happiness. But to spend more than you earn brings about misery. This statement supports the biblical advice about wise use of your money and resources. So, well, one of the reasons people get into debt is described in the Bible as love of the world. So what does that phrase mean and how does love of the world affect people? Then 1 John 2 verse 15 to 17 says, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, 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 is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. It's a very interesting angle or translation of what the text says. The love of the world does affect people. It, they become selfish. They become slaves to their desire for pleasure and uh, have very short-term goals. In fact, the love for the here and now doesn't always take God into consideration. It's the motto, if it feels good, do it. Or eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. It's a dangerous way to live. But placing God first, Jesus says, all the other things that we need will be added to us in due time. And I'm glad you've mentioned that last piece, Will because I think that's very important in the lives of people living in this century to place God first, and all the other things will be added unto you. Well, provide, besides providing counsel about being cautious, about not getting oneself tied up with debt, the Bible has advice for those whose lives 
are consumed with gaining wealth. So how does 1 Timothy 6.10 identify this problem? If I just read 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Here that the love of money becomes an idol and many have, and, and I guess we all do to some extent, sacrifice anything that stands in the way of what we want. And that might be family time or God's time. Uh, money itself is not evil because used effectively, it can bring about a lot of good. It is the love of money that is the foundation of evil. Now, it might be worth mentioning that the love of money that the Bible's talking here about is often not associated with willingness to do hard work to earn it, and this presents other sorts of problems. However, as mentioned um, already, sometimes we find ourselves, I think, Ligia, you addressed this, we can find ourselves heavily in debt through no fault of our own, and it can be over an overwhelming situation, particularly if there are children to be cared for or other dependents. Uh, I just wonder if uh, people are aware that there is a national debt helpline and the number is very easy to remember. It's 1-800-007-007. And, and this helpline can actually offer free advice or point you in the right direction if you find yourself struggling to make ends meet and not sure if you feel like you've hit rock bottom and you think, I really don't know where to go from here. Well, I guess this is a start, and um, they may help you. So that number was 1800 James Bond. James Bond, is that right? <laughs> if you're a fan. <laughs> I'll, I'll just do that in numbers, 1800-007-007. Thank you for that, Joe. Now, we're talking about love of money. Ken, in what ways... Does the love of money demonstrate that verse in 1 Timothy 6.10 to be practical and true? So what ways have you observed, Ken, in the world right now where people love money and what's happening as a result? Well, Len, it's a sad affair, but in order to get money, some many people resort to dishonesty, murder, scams, cheating, rackets, failure to pay honest taxes, theft, withholding wages, or seeking unfair wages. And unfortunately, even many Christians today don't pay tithes or offerings. Forgetting what God says in Malachi 3 and verse 8 to 12, you are cursed with a curse because you robbed me of tithes and offerings. And as you mentioned at the very start of the program, there's so many people out there today who are scamming and they're robbing many of them of their life savings and causing terrible distress and heartache. And unbeknown to themselves, they may be getting the money, but they're bringing huge judgment upon themselves and they have no idea what's coming upon them. It's very, very sad. Yes, I think that's a very wise and good comment there, Ken. So in the book of Ecclesiastes Ledger, there's an example in chapter 4 and verse 8, who someone of someone who have the love, had the love of money syndrome. So what conclusion did Solomon come to regarding this person? 
Reading Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8, it says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and a miserable business. So this man was alone and he was toiling and working hard and he wake up and he says, for who am I working so hard? So he realized that his efforts to get wealthy was pointless. So if we work hard, we have to have a goal for what and for whom are we working. We're helping other people if we don't have anybody, if we don't have families and children. So we have to realize for whom we are working so hard. Yes. And this man obviously didn't care for other people. He was just accruing wealth. Yeah. And then he thought one day, well, what am I, what am I doing this for? It's not doing me any good. I'm just working my guts out, so to speak, and not doing any good with it. Well, now, according to the statistics, there are five main reasons why marriages fail. These are they. Infidelity, that's cheating on your spouse. Secondly, lack of intimacy, that's physical intimacy. Thirdly, communication or lack of it. Fourthly, is money. And fifthly, is addictions. Now, these are statistics I've taken offline. Nick, today we're discussing debt, which I've just mentioned there, money issues. We're discussing debts, one of the issues responsible for breakdown of a relationship within marriage, but may also include other relationships. In practice, what financial scenarios within marriage might cause the marriage to split? Len, uh, I'm not a specialist in uh, to give advice in particularly to a married couple because that's so complex. And the issues which uh, may uh, surface are so, so many. But just coming to that point, I personally believe that many people have struggles in their relationship, again, because they desire what they see others achieving. It's not about having uh, necessarily um, debt but it's about desiring things. I will say that uh, if you want to keep safe yourself, try to avoid any sort of death because that will put stress on your relationship. Now, you may have some other things uh, combined uh, for a relationship to not to go very smoothly, but it came to my mind the story you shared a bit earlier, Len, that uh, the advice was to spend what you earn, a bit less, if it's possible, but not to spend more than you earn. You know, that advice is as good as we apply uh, the principle of the Bible that to spend what you earn is not to spend for yourself everything what you earn. 
but to consider that you are a support for others. Job in the Bible, he was a very wealthy man. And unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell us that he had a very perfect relationship also. But what I would like to say is that Job said with his wealth, for the needy, he was always there to help. He said, for the blind, I was an eye. For the widow, I was a support. For the naked, I provided clothes and so on and so forth. I think, Len, to answer that question very briefly is that we need to shift our attention and to see what is the purpose of life and even a family. I know so many families who have been distressed and and uh, ruined just because they always looked at their neighbors. They look at their uh, fellow people saying, why can we not have that? Why can we cannot achieve that? And they put their neck in big debts. And that's why the family was destroyed. Now, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse for a man to provide or for a, a, a woman to, to work in partnership. Because family, it's in these days very confused, Len. Uh, I don't know uh, how to re- respond fully to that question because we're dealing today with a very distorted concept of family. Yes, I've read plenty of stories where families or marriages break up because the wage earner was perhaps addicted to alcohol or to drugs or committed, overcommitted in high purchase commitments and things like that. There are all sorts of things, but harmonious marriages very often revolve around proper management of money and debt tends to be one of the things that kills marriages. Now, listeners, we're going to do something here which um, you might find very helpful and very interesting. Now, I want to say this first. Having lots of money can cause plenty of worry, just as much as having too much debt causes worry. At this point, we want to share 10 practical tips about how to manage debt. Now we're going to this, this will be done fairly quickly. It'll be machine gun type of things. We're not going to comment much about it. So 10 tips. Joe, would you start us off? Number one. Yes. Uh, I would say halt, call a halt to borrowing more money to purchase stuff that you don't really need. Thank you. Jerry, another one. Number two. Be careful with the money that you have. Be disciplined. Uh, don't be tempted to buy something you haven't planned for uh, just because of gl- glossy advertising that's screaming out to you and saying, oh, you really need this. Beware of impulse buying. Okay. Number three, Nick. Maybe set a limit on um, what you intend to spend. If you use cash, which uh, I like to use cash, um, carry only uh, a limit amount of money with you, not to be tempted to spend more than you afford. Or if you use a credit card, which is much more dangerous, I will suggest to set a limit on that credit card that you may not 
spend uh, more than you can cover. That's good advice. Number four, Will. A very important one, I think. Make a covenant with God to honor him with your money by returning tithes and offerings. In other words, invest in heaven and then see how God blesses you, recovers you uh, for your faithfulness. Okay. Ken, number five. Make a list of your debts. Then try to pay off the smaller high interest debts first. And if you can, endeavor to double up your payments on those smaller debts. By following this plan, you should soon be able to deal with the larger debts later. More good advice. Lydia, number six. Be prepared to wait so that when you buy something, you are able to pay for it outright. Remember that when you go into debt, what you buy costs more, much more, because of added interest. Yes, of course. Nick, number seven. Avoid easy over-the-phone loans like those advertised on TV. You know, uh, the hidden costs and interest payments on on these sort of things um, may be enormous. They are enormous. Ken, number eight. Well, instead of borrowing money to purchase new items that depreciate in value very quickly, consider good second-hand items. Although used, such items make a fifth service for many years. Yes. Also, do you really need that item you're after, like a TV, for example? Okay, good. Lydia, number nine. Look for bargains. Oh, yes. Jerry, number 10. Uh, when making purchases, let your head rule your heart. Now, that's important. They say most of the uh, stuff we buy, we buy because of emotional reasons. So that car might look nice, but it's full of rust. You need to consider the costs it will be later on to fix that rust. Yes, Joe. I might add another one in there is to seek advice and work out a plan. You might need professional advice and there's no shame in seeing someone because if a debt isn't managed properly, it can spiral uncontrollably that you're paying higher and higher and higher interest rates. So the earlier you see someone and set out a plan, the better. And, of course, prayer. Yes. All right. Well, now, last couple of things. We have a few minutes left. Joe. In Proverbs seventeen eighteen and twenty two twenty six, there's some good advice. What is it? You can summarise if you like. It just basically says, don't agree to be guarantor for anyone. Don't put up security for someone else because if they can't pay it, uh, or if you can't pay their debt, um, even the very bed will be snatched out from underneath you. <laughs> I think that speaks for itself. Yes, and I've heard of plenty of people who went guarantor for somebody and they were also in trouble. Does that mean, therefore, Joe, that Christians should not be generous? No, absolutely not. Um, 
Proverbs 22.9 says, Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. But this generosity is giving without looking for compensation. There's no hidden agenda or motives. And in giving, we ought to look for ways of not embarrassing the recipient. It's not a showy way that will draw attention to oneself or the gift. Um, and I guess much more could be said, but definitely generosity. God's generous with us, so we ought to be generous with others. Yes. It doesn't mean to say we need to hang on to every cent and forget about the needs of others. We're encouraged to be generous. So, Will, in God's instructions to the Israelites, he made provision for an equal society. Could you just share a little bit about that? Yes, I'd like to summarise Deuteronomy 15 verses 1 to 5. You know, I'll just love that the Lord every seventh year absolutely leveled the ground for everyone in the nation. And what a relief from oppression and subjugation it must have been. Every seventh year, freedom from debt and reprisal made the seventh year a year of wonderful release. And then on the 50th year, even those who had lost their lands to other landowners were free to return to their ancestral home and once again walk on and till the soil once owned by them or their family, but lost due to hardship, poverty and even irresponsibility. In other words, a new beginning on level ground uh, was good news instituted by God then and I think it's good news today as well, Ben. Yes. And as I see it, God's plan that there should be no poor people amongst the Israelite society, which is quite a lot different than we have today. It is true the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Well, listeners, in an ideal world, there'd be no borrowing and no debt. But because we don't live in an ideal world, there may be times when it's necessary to borrow. In that case, make sure you have the best deal possible, then pay off what you owe as quickly as possible. By following the biblical financial principles in our everyday lives, we should seek to avoid debt. By doing so, we can avoid debt stress and prevent causing undue suffering on our families. So the Bible gives some wonderful advice about this perplexing subject of debt. So let's end this study today with prayer. And Joe, I invite you to pray for us and our listeners that we might follow God's principles, which are wise. Certainly. Father, you are a good God who desires only the best for all your creation. We pray especially today that you give us wisdom in matters of money and debt. Help us to be good managers of what you have given us. It is always a challenge and we pray for your guidance. We also thank you, Jesus, for Jesus who has paid all our debts, who stands in our place. Humanity has nothing to offer but 
moral bankruptcy, and spiritual insolvency. We come to you because of our great need. We know that whoever comes will not be turned away because you love everyone. Thank you and bless all who call on you in need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for your participation today. And after this uh, wonderful study, I believe uh, each member of the panel, you guys, you may not come to me and ask for some money to borrow from me now because you understand how to manage uh, your money. But my dear friend listening today, this is uh, a very important uh, subject, very important topic. And we are going to continue to learn a bit more in the next presentation, living up treasure in heaven. And earlier, uh, Joe mentioned uh, a number which you can um, ring if you need some help, and that's 1-800-007-007 if you have struggles with managing uh, debt. But I will also encourage you to get in contact with us. We'll do everything what we can to help you. We may sit down together and study Furthermore, the Word of God, where we find wisdom, how to uh, deal with the difficulties in life. Please don't hesitate to contact us and uh, we'll do everything what we can to help. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus, free of death.